Welcome to episode 18 of Conversation on Eagle Mountain, a podcast about the tribe. I'm your host, Lance, and joining me on the panel today is Liz. Hello. Hill. Hey. And Sabine. Hi. With episode notes done by Matt, Kata, and myself. At least we're looking to the future, trying to build something better. Well, when you do, I'll be there to knock it down. So episode 18, the screenplay was done by Harry Duffin. It was directed by John Reed. And the episode synopsis will be read out by Liz. Much to Zandra's chagrin and Lex's relief, the wedding is interrupted when Ebony is discovered within the mall and imprisoned by the tribe members. But Ebony's capture may be short-lived if she can bait the right person into letting her go. So uh, let's kick things off by discussing the capture of the so-called Hellcat, as Lex calls her, within the mall. Uh, so quite a few questions here, but first of all, um, did anyone, anyone else on the panel believe that Ebony's capture was too easy? Um, it did kind of seem that she didn't purposely give Lex much of a fight. Um, do you think that all played into her plan to get more information about Zoo? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Like, yeah. Yeah, I, I I definitely agree that the whole point of her going there was reconnaissance and information. She's not going to get that if she gets away, you know. She puts up yeah. a really half-hearted effort to get away. Not to mention the way she walked in. She wasn't sneaking. Mm. Yeah, it wasn't even like a good, like, surrender even. It was just kind of like, oh, you found me, huh? Like, she took the opportunity to hit Bray just because, you know, it's her ex. Why not? Why not? <laughs> Um, I, I think we all want to hit Bray at one point. Like, right. If you get him in his special spot, you'll realize that in the back of the head is where poor <laughs> Bray is most vulnerable. <laughs> <laughs> you'll be hit there numerous times and collapse immediately. Yeah. Um, it's his self-destruct button. It is, definitely. But, you know, with, with Lex, she just let him knock her to the floor. Didn't put up any kind of fight. We know she can fight. You know what I mean? How else yeah. she survive on the street with Zoot? But then I love how tough she's acting in the cage. Like, oh, I can take you on. Like, you just gave up. Like, come on. She's like, oh, you got me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I've been caught. <laughs> it really does show her... Um, the kind of cunningness that they've been building up for Ebony, all the backstory that Bray's been mentioning, because um, obviously we had her letting Bray go in the last episode, and now she purposely gives herself up. It's like, yeah, it's really building her up to be crafty, and yeah, it's quite cool. When you watch Ebony in this episode, all of a sudden Zoot uh, dying off so early makes perfect sense to me. We mm. talked about it. Like, why would they kill mm -hmm. off such an iconic villain so quickly? Sure, he was probably supposed to die, but eight episodes in. And I think that was part of this version of, we've all mentioned it. Like, we just didn't, we didn't agree that he should have died as early as he did, um, being what he was. But I really do think that was a subversion of the whole villain trope because he was never meant to be the great villain. Um, you guys have mm -hmm. mentioned that Ebony was written for uh, Meryl personally. Mm -hmm. You know, once they saw her, they were like, dude, we got to make this character for her. And yeah. I think once he cast and created the character of Ebony, he knew Zoot isn't going to be my villain. 
this isn't the guy I'm going with. And so Zoot is set up as the great villain and he is iconic and so threatening and everybody talks about him. And then he axes him in eight episodes because it was always supposed to be her. And when you see him in this episode, you're like, she's the true antagonist. She's the person you should be afraid mm -hmm. of. Yeah. She's the brains behind this operation. Because we all agree, Zoot's plan, he didn't have a plan. He wasn't going to go anywhere. When you see him up close, when you hear the things coming out of his mouth, he just sounds like an ignorant kid, you know, lashing mm. out because he's angry. But when you listen to Ebony, this is a girl with a plan, you know, and it's like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I really do believe that Zoot was always meant to die early because he was never meant to be set up as the main villain. He was just making way for her. And it's pretty cool. <laughs> it's pretty cool to see her in action. I do like the the slight girl power, like even early on they're setting up in the tribe. Like girls are badass in the show. Mm -hmm. What I always likes about this part is you see Ebony going in on her own, clearly trying to find out if Zoot's there, if he, if there's a chance of him coming back. Because she needs to know that he won't come back. She needs to know that she can seize full control without fear, having to fear that he'll return and take over from her. That's, that's a good point. Let's, let's latch onto that for a minute, because um, like, that, wasn't that a very dangerous thing for Ebony to do? She just like she left her entire tribe, went off to follow Bray to, well, she didn't know where, um, all on her own. Like, like that, that was a very dangerous situation, thing to do. Like, she could have been captured, she, well, she was captured, but you know what I mean? You could have been in a, like a, a tougher tribe, she could have ended up being captured by, like... I I don't think she ever felt afraid, especially near Bray. She knows the kind of person Bray is. I think it was a risk versus reward setup too. Massive risk, though. Yeah. Like, there's like there's a lot of risk, but then the payoff is greater than the risk in her eyes. I think it has a. Lot, I think Sabine's on the right tra track. This is Bray we're talking about. She already knows who the tough tribes out there are. You know, she already knows the tribe she should be worried about. The ones, if they got their hands on her, what they might do to her. But why mm. would Bray ever be with a tribe like that? Like She knows him. That's part of why they broke up. Because she went ruthless at the end of the world and he didn't. And so, it's, yeah, there's a, it's, a, it's a perfectly calculated risk to follow Bray. No matter who he might be with, they, they're not going to be bad. They're not going to be terrible. They're not going to be anyone she couldn't handle. And she's right, you know? Um... Because I don't think another tribe would have dealt with capturing Ebony of the Locos the same way the Mall Rats do. No. <laughs> so, yeah, it was definitely, there was greater reward than risk in this for her because of who she was dealing with, you know. Um, and she definitely didn't want anyone to know, you know, if she did find Zoot. That's why she, you know, she's lying through her teeth when she says, oh, I just... I made a mistake. No, she didn't. This was completely calculated. Oh, yeah. You know, she doesn't even sneak into the mall. She walks right in. She has no fear. She's not concerned about who she's going to run mm -hmm. into because it's Bray. And, um... In her eyes... Yeah. Um, yeah, I think in her eyes, the greatest risk is finding out Zoot is still there and still alive and just doesn't want to be with them anymore. <laughs> Just imagine her face if, like, she walked into the mall and Zoot was just there chilling. <laughs> <laughs> like, instead of Bob, like, she's met with Zoot, like, just hanging out. That would have been interesting. <laughs> Playing with Jack's radio. No, I'm sitting, I see him, like, sitting in a lawn chair, like, Holding drinking Brady. something. Yeah, just like, oh, you finally decided to join me. Like, what's up? 
Oh, now I'm imagining that. In the costume from that music video where he's like completely <laughs> not zoomed. With the white feathers, yes. Yes! <laughs> That's what I picture. That's his mall rat makeover. I love it. Yes! He's just holding his actually- baby and she walks in. She'd be like, for realsies. Real. Yeah. <laughs> Real. So that, that music video was filmed. That was actually supposed to happen. Yeah, that was the but- alternate reality <laughs> where he lived. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry. Sorry, that was a, that's a great tangent, though. I don't apologize for that <laughs> tangent. Following on from Ebony's capture, um, let's talk about the alarm system for a minute, because um, it obviously almost brought down the entire locos into the mall. Um, yeah, what, what do you think of that little near miss that almost happened? Um, and don't you think it's further evidence that the alarm system isn't the greatest of ideas? It needs refinement. Yeah. You can't have this thing just making loud noise at every little shutter or every little footstep. And it's too easy to trip. Um, anybody can trip this thing. <laughs> the mice, the, the rats in the, you know, they're down there can trip it. Um, so it's like, it's a reminder to them. They thought they were safe because they had the alarm and they bl- blew all caution to the wind. Like, oh, we have an alarm system. Let's have a party. And now they're being reminded that, no, we have not worked out all the kinks in this. And it's a constant distraction for them, you know, and the alarm early on is kind of almost like another character. Like it has its own, you know, ins and outs and nuances. Like it could go off at any time. Is it a real threat? Is it not a real threat? Is it a mouse? Is it Bob? Is it the locos? But that's also an interesting thing about people in general and the evolution of how safe these kids feel about any given aspect of their society. We historically, when we invent something that solves a problem, we will, we have been known to say we've solved the problem forever. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? We made this ship unsinkable or whatever it is we've done. (laughs) And and then we're proved wrong. So it's like, we have to learn the hard way that just because we have these safety measures, they're not infallible. Yeah. And the kids have to learn the same thing. Like they ended that episode with Chloe coming back just on a high. So happy. We've worked out everything. And it's like, no, you haven't. You're getting someplace, but you haven't worked it all out. And uh, no, your alarm system is not perfect. It can be mm-hmm. tripped by anyone and it can bring others in here that you don't want yeah. here. Um, they're but just I lucky love that. The locos are dumb. <laughs> like they're very lucky that the locos are idiots because I don't even know why they were out there. And they clearly heard those wolves from a ways away. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. And followed it. Maybe they were looking for Ebony. Wouldn't that be a hoot? To be fair, I wouldn't want to go into the sewers with probably rabid dogs. (laughs) So I'd be quite scared as well. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like nothing there. Everything's fine. (laughs) You know, even if you hear like, okay, so there's wolves in what could be a shopping mall or a sewer. Like, at the end of the day, these are still kids, and they're young kids. So, like, I don't know if even I would go through that hearing that noise. Because it it's dark. Like, I'm sure most of these kids are still afraid of the dark because they're that little. Like, I just love how quick that they dismissed it. All it took was one guy to go, it's nothing, let's go. And they're like, yeah, okay. Okay. Like, they were probably afraid. Like, okay, that guy says it's cool, whatever. Like, the no- yeah, just go noise was just suddenly cut off, guys. Come on. Come on. Yeah. 
But they were like, nope, nope, we don't need to find nope. Ebony that bad. We're out of here. Yeah, because it's spooky and scary, and we're not touching that. And Ebony is a badass. She can take care of herself. But notice how close they were to actually being able to see Ryan through the grill. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, Ryan's literally on the ladder, and they're still staring down, and they don't notice there's life down there. That's how little investment they put into this search. <laughs> Kids are dumb. Like, it's the, you know, Mom, I can't find the ketchup in the fridge, and it's right there. Like, no, you just don't want to put forth the effort to find it. It's like, take the helmets ki- off, kids. Or it's impairing it- your vision. <laughs> <laughs> it's all that paint on your faces. You're getting a contact high. Nah, I just, I think it's a sign of, like, they, they might have been out there looking for Ebony, which is quite possible. Chase down the sound. None of them wanted to go down there. So as soon as the sound was gone, they were like, yeah, we're gone. There's no reason for us to go there. Why would Ebony be in a sewer with wolves? Let's go. <laughs> Why are wolves in a sewer? Like, Right. <laughs> Who knows? It might be just strange dogs with the demon dogs there. Oh, yeah. And they don't want to run into the demon dogs. Like, eh. That's not a fight we want to have today. Exactly. Why do you want soup? Hey, I asked the questions. Why do you want him? He's my man, and our leader, and we want him back. So why didn't you bring the rest of the tribe with you? I didn't know what we were walking into. I don't buy that. You let Bray go, then you fired the stupid git back here. If you thought we had Zoot, you'd have come all ganged up. I made a mistake. Yeah. Well, don't make the mistake of underestimating me, babe. Is that possible? So we next scene we have Bray, Lex, and Amber attempt to interrogate Ebony, and <laughs> it goes as well as you expect from the three of them. Um, yeah, what did you think of that little scene there? Well, I I just loved some of the looks. Bray saying, "I don't lie," and then yeah. he buried her with a straight face. <laughs> And Amber just smirking away as Ebony insults Lex. It's just bloody hilarious. I found it interesting that Lex didn't have a problem when Bray addressed Ebony. But he did Mm. have a problem when Amber did. Because even now, his ego can't handle anyone knowing that he still listens to a female. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, he can't handle that. Like, Bray says something to Ebony. Lex doesn't call him out on it, doesn't stop him, you know, lets uh, lets Ebony answer. But when Amber asks a very logical question, you know, Lex immediately goes, you know, I'm doing the interrogation and he asks the same question because it's like, even now he's trying to show himself in front of Ebony, trying to impress this woman. Like, I don't need a woman to tell me what's going on. I'm the boss here. And it's like, for real, Lex? <laughs> you still, you're still doing this? And I also do like the way Amber... It, it says a lot about women in the workplace because I mean, you notice how Amber has to operate with these guys all the time. And she knows that she has to let them have their ego stroking and fine, 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 you're the boss, even though you didn't think to ask that question. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it continues. Like, she points out the... The Rhoda for guarding Ebony. He's like, it should have been me doing it in the first place. And she's like, I didn't see you jumping up to do it. You know, and he's got nothing. Like, mm-hmm. It's so important that he's the boss on this. But Ebony, I mean, Amber's still better at him, even at this, you know. And um, so those power dynamics are very interesting. And just Amber having to put up with this. Like, oh, my gosh, you guys are idiots. And she's surrounded by two male idiots. Like, Bray's the one who let her here. 
and you know now Lex is puffing out his chest and uh, and you know the whole time she's thinking like I have to keep an eye on all of you because even though this is Lex's job she knows that he could fall down on it she knows how easily he could fail at it <clears throat> he does and um so even now Amber still has to be like running the show you know from behind the scenes she's a stage grip you know <laughs> behind the curtain mm-hmm. making sure everything works and and because uh, you can tell this isn't going to go well, even with Lex in charge, because he's not focused on actual security. He is distracted by this beautiful hottie. I mean, to be honest, she's kind of like easy pickings in the cage right there. That's gross. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying, I mean, whatever. <sighs> but you're not wrong. Um, like, like his predatory behavior towards her. This is his greatest fantasy. A beautiful yeah. woman who is powerless and in his command. And that's just kind of gross. You know what I mean? Um, it's very gross. But, but yeah, you're right. He He's very turned on by the idea of having power over Ebony. Ugh. And of course, it means he can't focus on actually doing his job, no. you know? Um, but what I just love seeing is Ebony picking everyone apart to figure out who's the weak link in this group. Mm. And... Um, <laughs> Like, she's so clever, the way she talks to all of them. Because she approaches every single one of them differently. And one of the yeah. few people she's actually genuine with is Amber. You know, she doesn't use any of her feminine wiles, femme fatale attitude, nothing. She just talks to her straight as a rival that she might even respect. You know what I mean? Because they're both women. They're on the same playing field. It's one of the best conversations I've ever seen and I, I really love the buildup of a conflict like this between two women mm-hmm. you know and it's really just about ideologies and they're both well spoken they both can move a room with their words and they know it and they're reading each other out and if it's just a really great laying the groundwork of who is your main protagonist who is leading this belief of what we should be following and that's Amber and then you have the opposing side in Ebony. And in that moment, both of these young females knock every other male actor out of the park. Like, there will be no two players who are more important than these two. And how they see the world and how they will always be a conflict. And how almost every time there's a conflict on either side, they're the ones leading the charge in that conflict. And I do mm-hmm. think that is awesome that it comes down to these two females because you don't really see ebony fighting with the guys about how the world should be run she's fighting with ebony with how the world should be run and if that's not a a mark of girl power and girls rule the world i don't know what is (laughs) it's just a really cool scene yeah completely agree um that the quote between the two of them is always sticks in my head um where amber says at least we're looking to the future trying to build something better and Ebony just goes, well, when you do, I'll be there to knock it down. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> such a great line between the two of them. It's two very different sides of girl power. Like, the optimistic one and then kind of like the pessimistic one, which is also really cool. I just always love that little line between them. With it. Yeah, where's that going to get you? To the top, sugar. What, a garbage heap, honey? Yeah, that's a good one, yeah. yeah. And I, I just think one. it's really beautiful that the thesis of the show is literally being spelled out and it's between two female actors doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're both powerhouses in that scene. And there's yeah. a lot of great energy charged between them and both Meryl and Beth are fantastic. And uh, 
yeah, like they're, it's pretty legendary and they're so young, but the, there's a, a lot of power between both of what they're saying. And they're also, both of them are fighting in a man's world and they're both going about it completely differently. And you got to respect both of their methods. You know what I mean? Like, I don't look down on Ebony for the way she conquers the males in her world. And I don't look down on Amber, mm -hmm. you know, um, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Especially if you look at the time it was made, it was just something so unique because there weren't a lot of shows that had women in such positions, or at least women that age in such positions in the show. And it also it passes the Bechtel test, which is fantastic. Yeah, um, having these females talk about something other than men, um, <laughs> because even though what they're talking about is you know finding a way forward in a world that is dominated by males. And then each one of them have to fight. And this isn't the only time you'll see it, but you're going to meet a lot of strong females in tribe world. And they never mm -hmm. talk about the fact that they're fighting against men. It's just very clear that that's what they're doing. And mm -hmm. you can see the different methods they've all had to take on to fight in this world that's being ruled by the boys. And often they're the most powerful, you know, um, mm -hmm. which is extremely impressive. <laughs> like, I'm like, wow, that is, I mean, how often is it a female who comes out on top, you know, or is the one who leads the charge to win a battle, you know, um, it happens a lot. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, and this is the beginning. Even the demographic, like, I've never thought of the tribe as, like, strictly a boy show or strictly a girl show, like how so many shows are marketed towards one or the other. But, like... The tribe has some really awesome, like, girl power moments, like you said, for not necessarily being a girl show. It's very subtle. Mm -hmm. It's very, yeah. you just have to, it's, it's there, and you may not even realize what you're seeing. But, um, we, you know, we've got to spend 18 episodes watching Amber, and we can all agree, she really is the true leader of the mall rats. You know, she's oh, yeah. the one who keeps these guys together. So she is our leader for good. She is our hopes and dreams you know, whatevs, a guru, you know, a life coach. And this whole time, we didn't really know who was leading the, the locos. You know what I mean? It's the way their violence and uh, menace, you accept that Zoot was leading them, but was Zoot gone? You know, it's kind of hard for some people to imagine a female could take that role. And uh, she had to take on this traditionally masculine role, but she doesn't lose any of her femininity to do it, which is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, now like this is the first time the powers of dark and light get to face off to each other. And you're like, Oh wow. Awesome. The other side has just as strong a leader and it's an, it's another girl, you know, yeah. calling the shots. And just like Amber, she has to work around the guys. You know, she had to go find out the answers for Zoot on her own. She does not take her tribe. She does not fill them in. Just like Amber, she has to, like, work around their masculinity and their defenses and kind of be a little sneaky and underhanded. And I enjoy watching her mess with everybody. Every single person. Finding her, just trying to find her weak link. Because she'll just bait them with a few words. And, you know, and see, can I use you? And... Nah, I can't use you. Never mind. <laughs> and the way she got to uh, Ryan, it was just too funny. 
That was good. I love that because she's just kind of talking to him, but she's letting him talk. Mm-hmm. Brian is just mindlessly la 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 la, and she's gathering this information. And then she picks the one thing she can, huh, let me pull on that string. And it works. And, oh, she gets him. And then you see her interest is peaked as she gets up off the floor and starts to engage him. You know? And, I mean, you don't see Ryan ever get physical or violent with the females. But he's ready to punch her out. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And she knew what she was doing. And, oh, my gosh, those insults. She had me cracking up. What are you going to do about it, fat boy? (laughs) Even like the blocking of her just like walking back and forth, like like the lioness she is. I think later she calls herself that. Like you see a lion it. in a cage. Yeah. She's like just mm-hmm. walking back and forth. Just so It's not my fault you've fallen for the boss's slag. And it's cool because again, we see another person who's just really good with her words when she's manipulating people. You know, mm-hmm. and you know it, you're watching and you know that Ryan don't fall for this. She's just messing with you. So you'll open the cage. <laughs> so good. Mm-hmm. And that's when I felt like we found the true antagonist of the show. Cause I never felt that with Zoot. He looks the part, you know what I mean? He has a gang of people around him and we're all like, oh, he was so iconic. But no, he doesn't, he never leaves. No, he doesn't do anything. He doesn't do anything. He just looks a certain way. You know, we've heard him talk. We've seen what he does. And it's nothing special. Yeah, this is the true antagonist. How many times have we brought up, like, the idea of Zoot is this big, bad, tough thing. But really, he doesn't have the the resume to put that forth. He dies. Yeah. Like, we never see what he's capable of. Maybe we could get through to her. You know, reform her. Ebony? Well, Bray, you knew her before, didn't you? A little. Well, what do you think? Could have any change? Could we change her? She could certainly convince you you had. Then escape when we let her out. The evil witch. We're wasting time. We can't keep her and we can't let her go. Let's move on to the big debate. Uh, This is like the second big test for our tribe where they try and decide what to do with Ebony. What are your first impressions? Um from that scene um i i think this is a very important conversation to have and uh again it make it makes it clear to its viewers why it's not that easy for any society to decide what to do with their prisoners you know what i mean and um you're talking about a bunch of kids you literally have the freedom to do whatever they want to ebony and that uh we know they have every reason to believe that letting ebony go would be way more dangerous to them and um, there's no, there'd be nothing to stop her from bringing her entire tribe in there and destroying them. Um, so it becomes a life or death situation for them. And, um, and so, yeah, it's, it, it's not like, oh, should we beat up some kid on the playground? You know what I mean? This is a really mm-hmm. serious mm-hmm. matter. What do you do with someone as dangerous as Ebony? She is the head of the logos right now. Yeah. Like, if there's anyone to be afraid of, it's the locos. Everyone is terrified. And we know what the locos are capable of. And, you know, she could do anything to them if they let her go. There would be nothing they could do to stop her from coming back with her band. They almost got caught from the locos just because of their alarm. Um, I, yeah. And if you keep her, you have to feed her. 
can they can yeah. barely feed themselves. Why you know you can understand why people don't want to deport prisoners and pay taxes to keep them living comfortably. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, why should they? They broke the law. Why should I have to pay so they can live comfortably? Um, and I I thought it was a very honest question about the death penalty. You know, uh, and these kids actually have a real reason for having it. Um, because I don't know what I would do with someone as dangerous as Ebony in my clutches. I'd be terrified. And I think I really love the things the kids bring up, all the different points of view. You know, Sabine, uh, Celine saying like, yeah, they've had the death penalty, but you have to do something terrible to deserve it. You have to have killed somebody. And we don't know if she's killed anybody. We can't kill her because she broke in, you know? And that's, uh, yeah, it's a really, you know, you have Zandra who just wants her dead because she's really feeling petty right now. You know, um, and yeah, it's it's really dark. I like the fact that you have several different reactions to no, I don't want to re- be responsible for killing someone. I'd never want to do that. And and Jack suggesting to do it humanely. I was about to bring up Jack because yeah, um, yeah. Let's discuss Jack's kind of moral compass. Like, did it did it surprise the panel? At all? Um, not only was Jack pro execution, but he came up with many different ways to get it done like to do no. <laughs> Jack has always been practical yeah and I think he's always had that sort of um like compass almost uh, yeah I'm not surprised his brain, like I'm not surprised I, it just feels very in line with Jack's you know, and I mean we see people. it again later too it's always been there you know what I mean mm-hmm. um so I'm not surprised that Jack would say something like this because again he does not have that human touch and he is able to completely shut himself off from people in that way you know so the idea of okay well she has to die so it has to happen whatevs of course he was the one who had to give her the pills he'd he'd be shaking so hard he'd probably even say i could never do it i could never you know but he's okay with the idea of it happening if someone else does it and he has no problem suggesting these kind of ideas and people look at him like Jack. <laughs> it's like you shouldn't be surprised. This is very, but I mean, very Jack. Jack sees the world very black and white too. Like, which is fitting for him, you know. And it's it's a very um, common thing. I mean, that's how we deal with yeah. execution today. It's the way we've always done. I mean, for Pete's sake, that's why the guillotine was invented, so that there didn't have to be a hangman. There didn't have to be an executioner. Nobody should have that sin on their hands. And so we were like, we need to find a way that's almost painless and that nobody else is actually personally responsible for, you know, um, and then we don't have to feel guilty for having taken this life. You know, we have to find a humane way to take lives so that the whole public can get on board with taking these lives. And we're still doing it today and we're still fighting about it today. Mm-hmm. You know, truly humane, you know, are they truly not feeling any pain? And, you know, um, that's the natural progression of that conversation. It's a very big question and a very big discussion for little bodies. And I, I honestly can't say where I would have stood at that age. I'm not even 100% yeah. on stand now. You know, if I was in a survival group, you know, the zombies have come and I'm trying to keep my family alive and some dangerous person had broken into our base and endangered all our lives and letting them go could make things worse. And someone was like, we got to do away with them. Dude, mm-hmm. I can't, 
I can't look someone in the face and say, oh, no, it's wrong if I'm thinking about keeping my children and my parents alive. You know what I mean? Like, that's a really hard decision to make. And the fact that these kids are even discussing it, I I don't judge them at all. (laughs) I don't think anything. I don't think any less of the ones who brought it up. And um, they have a very good reason to be terrified of letting Ebony go. This is a hostile world they live in. And uh, especially because, like, you got to think if they let her go, they can she could lead the rest of the locos back to where they could lose everything that and, they've been trying yeah. to build. They lose each other, they, they lose their home, you know. And it's not the first time they've had to deal with the idea that if someone comes back, should we be here? You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. yeah, uh, they could end up in slavery, you know, um, they could lose everything they've been fighting for. She is a dangerous prisoner. And they have no reason to believe that she could be redeemed and wouldn't do anything bad to them. I mean, they even ask, is there a chance? And Bray's like, nope. (laughs) But but one thing that I noticed about that, because Bray instantly goes, there's no way to know, because she could always convince you yet. But he does not pitch in anything during the discussion of executing her. That's interesting. He doesn't ever give an opinion on that. Yeah. He doesn't say either way. He doesn't. He doesn't. But again, that's a whole bitter exes sort of thing. Yeah. Because, you know, spoilers, he is the one who talks her down after all this. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, it's, that is very fascinating that Bray is listening to these people talk about killing someone that he knows and he was close to. And he's only fueling the fire in the flames of, this discussion by saying, yeah, she could certainly convince you you changed your mind and then screw you over. Let's latch on, latch on to that for a minute because, um, yeah, I want to like have a little discussion about that because what do you think, obviously, knowing Ebony's future on the show, like, do you think that was a fair comment? Do you think Ebony can change or do you believe she really can't? Like, what you, yeah, what are your thoughts about that? Doesn't she, she, she mellow out a little bit? Like, she does, yeah. She, she mellows out she a little bit. But, he makes a fair point. No matter what happens, Ebony is always able to convince people that she's on their side. That's mm-hmm. I think it wasn't completely fair. I think she does change, like generally changes in the future. I don't think yeah. that's completely yeah. fair. I, think- I don't know if Ebony ever truly changes. I think it's more who Ebony decides is her, eb- uh, her enemy. So in the beginning, these mall rats are her enemy. Okay. And so they're up for grabs. She's willing to do whatever she wants to them. Whatever comes in her mind, any opportunity, she doesn't care what she has to do to them to get that opportunity, okay? And we'll see just how far she's willing to go in season two, okay? Mm -hmm. She has no regard for anyone or most human life whatsoever. Her goal, you're in the way, you die. Something happens to you. Uh, I think with Ebony, it's mostly that later on, it's just that our heroes are no longer really, she doesn't see them as worth it. And she still is willing to do just about anything to accomplish her goal. She's willing to throw mm-hmm. everybody under the bus for that goal. Uh, she may, she kind of, I think, in a loses some of her pettiness in the sense that realizing you don't have to try and kill somebody to get what you want. There's other ways around it. But I... I don't really feel like the writers ever allowed Ebony to change. She takes a step forward and two steps back over and over again. As soon as she mm-hmm. reached an emotional hurdle and learned something or grown, 
the writers often will take her right back to where she's always been, doing the same thing, same machinations, same flaws in her character, same insecurities, mm-hmm. battle for Ebony. Like they just won't let her grow up and get past her issues. They just keep t- all the way into season five. You think she's crossed a bridge. You think she's in a new place. And what do the writers do? They have her do something just as petty and awful to somebody because they're an obstacle in her way. Like they just won't allow her to change and grow up. Hmm. I think that might also just boil down to like um, traumatic stress and like how that messes with your personality. Maybe mm-hmm. like, or more than I mean, just needed that character to remain they in place. Probably no do ever but... replace Ebony. You know what I mean? If you suddenly have Ebony grow into a different kind of person, there is no one who could ever take her place. You can no, never I have just... an antagonist as great as Ebony, so they have to kind of keep her there. You know, I've just always looked at these characters as always like they're always going to be slightly stunted just by the nature of their events that they're in. Like we are looking at some really messed up kids they eventually do become more like comic book characters which are stuck in a time loop you know if you're reading (laughs) kelvin and hobbs kelvin is forever six years old every birthday he turns six years old he's never allowed to be any older because that's just the nature of the comic panel he stars in you know what i mean so you read it you read it for 10 years and he's six the entire time his outlook can never really change. He's not allowed to grow or else the comic would lose its appeal, you know? And so sometimes you have these characters, they aren't really allowed to leave where they were. The, the writers don't know what to do with them anymore. I mean, Lex is a perfect example of someone where they, when they stop making him a secondary antagonist, they kind of don't always know what to do with him. So he just gets up to stupid crap that's like, why would he even bother? But it's because they can't really make him a bad guy anymore because they moved him past that. And so they have nothing to do with him. And he stays in a stunted place where he can't grow anymore or learn anymore or become a better person, you know. Um, And I do think that Ebony is a victim of that, you know, as a character. Because God forbid, like, there's just no way you could replace someone like her. And if you actually let her grow past her issues or learn something and they actually start to do that. And then, like I said, what do they do at the last second? No, no, no. She hasn't actually made any progress. (laughs) We're going to take it right back to point A, you know? Yeah, I see your points. Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. I guess. But I do think for Bray, like what he's saying about Ebony has way more to do with just his feelings on her. He learned that she's manipulative and that she can convince you of a lot of things. Because remember, he had to learn the hard way. He thought Ebony was a sweet girl who was just concerned about his brother's well-being. And that's why she got involved. And he was like, thank you. You know, I didn't know my brother was into tree that bad. Thank you. You know, she had him thinking that his brother would commit suicide if he didn't get Trudy. Right? He was like, wow, mm-hmm. thank you for helping me sidestep that. I would never want that to happen to my brother. He thought she was a really sweet person, you know, and then he got to know her a bit and the world started ending and his parents got sick and she was just lacking all compassion or kindness or warmth. And he's like, who are you? How could you actually be this cold, you know? And uh, so he saw some things in her, you know, and now he's looking at her like, you can't trust who she presents to you. I'm still surprised that Trudy doesn't open her mouth about what to do with Ebony at all. Because other than Bray, she's the one who knew Ebony. And she's the one who's afraid of Ebony. 
even Bray told her to be afraid of Ebony. Of what would happen if Ebony would come there or find out what happened? Well, Trudy still isn't, when she's in a group setting, she still doesn't really raise her hand and give an opinion. She just waits to see what the group's going to decide. Like, this is not the only time you see her sitting in the group silently waiting to see what they would decide. Yeah, Trudy really hasn't come into, like, being Trudy yet, I don't think. You know, she's just staring at Bray and the others, fearful yeah. for what they'll decide. But she also kind of trusts that Bray will take care of this. <laughs> she still used to be dragged along by him. Who are we right, exactly. <laughs> he doesn't have a voice. Yeah. I mean, remember when they were discussing whether or not she should even stay in the mall, Trudy doesn't really say anything in her own defense. She doesn't no. offer, like, I could do this for you, or I could do this for the group, or I could bring this to the group. She just sits there letting these people debate over her head. You know, she's still used to other people making decisions for her and just kind of being a victim and waiting to see what's going to happen yeah. to her. So that's why she's still there, just waiting to see what's going to happen. What are they going to decide? But it, yeah, to me, it feels like the way she is in this earlier season also makes it more logical of the way she acts in a later seasons with The Chosen. Mm -hmm. She even makes the comment that we don't have to worry about right or wrong anymore. Suit decides for us. As if she wants someone else to make all the choices. Well, Trudy doesn't want her hands dirty. That's how Trudy grew up. You know, like, yeah. um, she was indulged. She was loved. Her parents took care of everything. And then she literally goes from her parents' arms to Bray's. And he takes care of everything throughout her pregnancy. He makes mm -hmm. all the decisions. You know, he's the one who decided on the mall rats. Like, you said it yourself. Trudy has had no choice in what happens to her. And she's used to that. And um, it's not until Trudy makes a decision, makes a decision for herself as to what she's going to do with her life. And that is the day she decides, I'm going to go back and raise my daughter. You know, because that's what mm -hmm. I want to do. That is when Trudy gains autonomy and becomes a person yeah. in her own right. But she's still stuck in child mode because it's easier, because the world is scary. Mm -hmm. And it's you don't have to take any responsibility for your actions if you basically just leave your fate in the hands of others. And that's why she feels so helpless and why she is constantly breaking into tears at that helplessness. As she says, and I believe it's next episode, she's going to be sobbing with Amber and she tells her, what is going to happen to me? You know what I mean? Like, yes. she can't fathom making a decision for herself or taking care of herself. If Bray isn't going to be there to take care of her, it's hopeless. There's nobody. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. What do I do without the tribe? That, it's, it's, it's a lot for Trudy. Yeah. To realize, like, how to stand up and say, no, I have my own autonomy. I will make decisions for myself, as terrifying as that is, and I will take responsibility for myself. But I mean, I think that's just natural for anybody. That we all go through it at some point in our childhood. Okay, yeah. Uh, since we're on the topic of Trudy, um, yeah, what did the panel think of her yet another heart-to-heart -heart with Bray, um, in which she admits her feelings again for him? Um, it was a very different tone and interaction she's had with him there than previously, but I'm like, is everyone just tired of it now? Like, what were your yes. thoughts about it? Kind of over it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Like... I mean, what, it's episode 18, we've had this dynamic since episode 1, he's pretty much said, I'm not interested, he's kissed other people, and we're still going on about this? Like, take the hint, girl. 
I'm on the fence. I feel both like he'll like, I'm kind of just tired of this. Like, get a hint. You know what I mean? But at the same time, there's a part of me that clearly can relate to this thinking. We've already established that Trudy is convinced that if she can just find the right way to approach Bray, she'll get what she wants from him. And she's sincere in that. You know what I mean? Like, she can't fathom that they won't be together. So that's just off the table. If they're going to be together, she just has to figure out how to get there. You know, and she's been willing to jump through every hoop that someone tells her will get her Bray. Take care of your baby. That'll get you Bray. Be nice to Celine. That'll get you Bray. Participate in the group. That'll get you Bray. And she's tried all of them and they're not working. Mm -hmm. So she's tried tantrums and those aren't working. And so when I see Trudy in this moment with Bray, she's trying, you know, she's thought about her actions, you know, screaming at him didn't work, doing this didn't work. So she's like, okay, I'm going to be calm. I'm going to be the calm, understanding woman. That's what he needs, right? Maybe that's what Celine's able to give him mm-hmm. that I'm not. So I'm going to be calm and easy and, and, and forgive him of everything. I'm not going to call him out for anything. And I'm just, I'll be perfect. And then he'll want me, right? And, and she immediately shuts him up before he can explain how he feels about her. No, 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 no. Don't tell me. Take some time and then come back to me, okay? That's all. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. And, and then, of course, when it doesn't work, she's devastated. Like, I don't, I'm out. I don't have any more weapons in my arsenal. I don't know why this didn't work. I don't understand this. It's, and I'm like, I feel yeah, I get it. I've been there. So I think now that I'm older, like I'm picking up on like I can pick up on this in a show, not so much in real life, but I'm seeing like the other dynamics. And so where, you know, Bray and Trudy doesn't work out and she's misreading all the signals, I think back to like when Brady's first born and Dal and how you know, he got all the stuff and he was like making an effort. And I'm like, there is a perfectly good person like right in front of you. And it, it kind of almost breaks my heart for him. Like, I would have loved to see her get through her head that there is other people other than, uh, not Dal, other than Bray, who are trying to maybe, you know, form relationships. Yeah, that's just the way it goes, like, though. I mean, we're I, all like yeah, this. Yeah, I know. You know? I get it. But it's annoying, though. It. it sucks to watch. I mean, you watch yeah. Zondra with Lex, and you're like, Zondra, Ryan is uh, right Exactly. It's right there. It's it's right Everything you want in a man, you know, he's right there ready to offer it to you. And you're just like, nah, he's just not right. It's not right. I don't know. That's why I'm over Bray and Trudy. Mostly because I don't like some of it has to do with us not being completely honest about what it is we want in our partner. You you've all heard it. You've all heard it. You've all heard a guy say, I just want a good woman. And they get a good woman and treat her like crap. And you're like, I thought you wanted a good woman. (laughs) What's wrong with this good woman? They can't put into words what's wrong with this good woman. Or you hear a woman say, I just want a nice guy. I want a nice guy. And they'll have a nice guy. And they'll treat him like crap. And you're like, did you really want a nice guy? Sometimes we're not entirely honest about what it is we want in a partner. And some of what we want is entirely shallow based. But we can't say that. So Trudy can't say that not only does she want Bray because he's nice and he's taking care of her and he's been sensitive, she can't admit that she wants Bray because he's hot and Dal is not. You know what I mean? That's why Dal has never caught her True. attention. You know what I mean? Zandra can't say that part of what you know makes Lex appealing to her and Ryan not, even though Ryan is compassionate and he's strong and he would totally protect her, is that Ryan's not cool. You know what I mean? Lex is cool and that is sexy. 
Brian don't have that. She can't say that. Most of us don't even realize that about ourselves. So yeah, there you go. Perfect person sitting right in front of you and you don't even see them because they're missing some quality that you can't admit is what you actually really want. Just over the Bray Trudy thing. <laughs> I'm over Bray Trudy. I'm over Bramber. Like, no. Oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> so I wanted my two cents before you started, Sabine. Take it away. <laughs> yes, Sabine, please waterboard us. Yeah, just come on. I'm going to mute you and call me back when it's time. <laughs> Uh, I'm, you know, I am absolutely team broody there. <laughs> broody, sorry. It's a perfect word for the couple entirely. That's like the funniest name smash I've ever heard. Yeah, that's good. That works. Uh, uh. Yeah, well, I mean, she knows. Just before she got pregnant with Brady, she almost had Bray. If Ebony hadn't interfered, no, she was able to get him. If it hadn't been for Ebony, if it had, hadn't been for Martin, if it hadn't been for those rotten kids and that dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, basically. Thank you, Liz, for laughing at that. <laughs> see, you have a point there. If it hadn't been for Celine with those rotten oh, kids and that dog. I think it's Scooby-Doo. I think it's Scooby-Doo, yeah. <laughs> I know, but, I mean, if Bob hadn't been there, Sue wouldn't have been True. there. The rotten kids and a dog, and Celine wouldn't have been in the picture. Yeah, that's, that's a hard one to let go of. If you did have an opportunity with somebody, you know what I mean, and something happened, it can be really difficult to let go of that night, that opportunity. If this one thing hadn't happened, you know, uh, what about Mary? If I hadn't zipped my junk <laughs> in my pants... Oh, what could have happened? You know what I mean? And he can't ever let it go. You know what I mean? And I get that. It's, it can be really hard when you feel like there was something outside of your power that's literally stopped you from that opportunity. You know what I mean? And you're just like, if I could just have the chance again, you know? And I do get why Trudy can't let go of Bray. It's not just that, you know, she was overindulged and a bit spoiled and is really only thinking of herself. Part of it is that there's this history where he was interested in her. You know, he was responding to her positively. And then one day after Ebony came to their school, she he changed. He became cold and pushing her to towards his brother. And she's trying to, she's had to spend all this time trying to figure out what happened. She spent months with him alone, trying to most likely read every action and word that came out of his word and out of his mouth and think it must mean something or else he wouldn't be doing this if he didn't care about me. And turning that care into love, equating it with love, even though it's not. Mm -hmm. And so I she saw it as love. I get it. it. I do get it. Um, but again, she's completely ignoring him when he's telling her that no, you read it wrong. You know, I'm just a compassionate person and you were carrying my niece. You know what I mean? I wasn't <laughs> gonna leave you on the street. And she can't accept that your opportunity's been missed. Things have happened. You slept with his brother. He can't look at you like that anymore. You know, right. it's gross for him. He's grossed out by you. I'm sorry, sweetie. He's just like, it's too incesty for him now. <laughs> right? He just can't do this out, though. Like, is there any healthy relationships in the tribe? Because looking back, like, I can't see any one of them being pretty healthy. Just throwing that out there. When it comes up, I'll bring out what I think falls in the parameters of a healthy relationship, despite whatever strife the couple's <laughs> having. 
but um it's the only thing that comes up in my mind saying i'm just throwing it out there that's a good question elephant mad i'm trying to think there are there are there are some healthy examples of relationships despite how much the couple might fight or have to deal with conflict the lack of conflict does not mean healthy you know what i mean and having conflict doesn't mean your relationship is unhealthy it's how you're dealing with your conflict you know what i mean and so i do think there are couples on the show who may have a lot of conflict but the way they deal with it i feel is a healthy example of the way relationships grow and the way we grow together and how we progress and there are relationships where they might not really have much conflict but i think it is a very unhealthy relationship i think there's some very toxic relationships in this show and some of them are just based on their age, their maturity level, and the reality they're living in. True. You know, they're children pretending to be adults, and a lot of them are taking on adult subject matter in their relationships that they aren't ready for. Um, it was just I, a thought that I had, and now I'm going to think no, about it. No, it's a good for the question. Next. It's a really good question. I can't believe I'm actually thinking of this, but... <laughs> Who is it? We're generally seriously the, <laughs> the least toxic, toxic couple. It's yeah. quite possible that they were definitely the least toxic couple in five seasons. Who's that? Yeah. Jack and Ellie. Ellie. And I would probably Ellie. put uh, Patch. Patch and D. Patch and D. And then I would say Ned and Alice too. Yeah. So during the scene um, with Ebony in the cage, uh, Amber comes to relieve Lex from guard duty. And it's during that moment where she kind of realizes that Lex must be the cause for Paul's disappearance. Um, yeah, we've talked about this in the last podcast, but yeah, what do you think about the writers adding that in now to explain Paul's disappearance? I just, it feels like backtracking, like they realized whatever happened behind the scenes that they needed an explanation. I'm glad we got it, but it's kind of just mm. stuck in there. Like, it's just kind of like, we need a way to do this. Let's just stick this in there real fast. Lex with Paul, he was not being cruel to Paul. He wasn't. Yeah. We haven't seen him bullying Paul, like so. It, and it hasn't even been consistent him bullying Paul. You know what I mean? Last night watching it, I almost wanted Lex to fire back with like, "Dude, I haven't messed with him in days. Like, he hasn't been here. It wasn't me." Um, of course, they of course they don't. Lex, yeah. you know, behave in a way that maybe he is responsible. Maybe he has had a go at Paul. Because again, they're trying to feed that this is why Paul left. So they're retroactively making Lex the cause, even though we exactly. who've been watching yeah. this going, where, where? It's not consistent yeah. enough for him to be the cause of Paul leaving. It's just, mm-hmm. I, I understand the need for it. I don't like it, but it's what we're given. Whatever. Yeah, I get it too. I'll get over like it. it. I don't think it's very well done, but no, fine, no. fine. They had something. Yeah, yeah they had to have something and. Because how else are you going to explain why this little boy would leave the mole? Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, you can't have him snatched by locos. Cause, well, why not? I was actually because thinking about <laughs> that. Uh, why we don't ever get any conclusion or resolution on what happened to Paul. Because the reality of what would have happened to Paul is grim. Exactly. So we really, I mean, think about it realistically. What most likely happened to Paul when this is the world you've just presented and what happens to everyone who leaves the mall every time one of our heroes decides to venture out something terrible happens to them what do you think is going to happen to a little boy who's like eight years old and cannot hear 
Yeah. You know what I mean? It was bad. It ended badly for Paul. So I think that's why we never actually get yeah. any word on what happened to Paul. Because it would have been a very bleak one. Yeah. No one would have taken him in. At least no. not one of the bigger tribes. But I almost wonder, like, looking back on it, if we would have had, like, I don't know, someone in the background wearing, like, his jacket or, like, you know, something that blatantly said Paul. Not blatant, but like, you know, you see someone trading for something in one of the markets and you're like, oh, that, that oh, oh man, that's, that's not good. Like, instead of just having like it spelled out for you. But again, that again would have been a very bleak what happened to Paul. They don't want us to think about Paul. They want us to forget about him quickly. They don't want us to consider the reality of what happened to this child when he went missing. You know, but what we I mean? want closure, and yeah, I'm okay if closure. Didn't run into a Tyson. You know, he's far more likely ran into the nomads who sent sold him into slavery. You know, um, he ended up like Charlie and Mouse, most likely. You know, they don't want us to think about what happened to Paul, which is why he just poofs into the ether. It's never brought up. We never get any resolution. There's no speculation. He just disappeared. You know, and we're not going to talk about it. I want closure. Even if that closure is he is dead, he was sold, he's this feral child running around. And that's probably something they could never get past the censors. There's only so much they can do. Yeah. And, I mean, if you're going to kill a kid, they have to be a certain age. You cannot get away with killing an eight-year-old. No, No, you cannot. They were like, yeah, let's just let it go. Send me your Paul fix where he gets tortured and killed. Thanks. Oh, hey. I wrote Paul Fix. I made him end up with Sally. Oh, okay. I personally, I personally gave Paul a happy ending myself. Yeah, I mean, I... He ended up with... It. But, I mean, uh, that's, again, that's wishful thinking. <laughs> yeah, just, we haven't met any other cool... Good, tribe. bad, or otherwise, I want closure for the character. I always want closure for a character. And also, so I, I, also I feel like... I mean, when you look at the difference between the tone of season one compared to any of the other seasons... There is a darker tone to season one. Oh, yeah. There's a darker outlook on their world. And yep. so the Marauds are basically the only ray of light in their world. We don't meet any other tribes who are trying to make the world a better place like them. And the first time when we do meet other people who might be decent, they turn out to be horrible people <laughs> underneath. You know what I mean? And yeah. so... I think when Ray was working on season one, he did have a much bleaker view on what this world would be like. Mm-hmm. So I think for him, Paul was going to have a very bleak outcome. So that's why he didn't delve into it. Obviously, in later seasons, his outlook brightened a little bit or whatever. And the world actually becomes a better place in general. And there are a lot more people who think like the mall rats. But right now, I think that's why we just never find out what happened to Paul. Because in Ray's mind, it weren't going to be good. Um, so that brings us to our final thoughts of the episode, um, where <laughs> Lex puts himself inside the cage with Ebony, and obviously you know what's going to happen, <laughs> <laughs> having sex, and uh, Ebony escapes. <laughs> yeah, what, what did you think about <laughs> Uh She played him oh, yeah. so good. <laughs> so, once again, I... I watched this as a very young, young child. (laughs) And I do believe this is one of the episodes where my parents walked in as I was watching the show. And even watching it now, like, 
I'm I'm that nine year old child that's like, oh no, my mom is gonna walk in during this, and like this is weird. It just it goes on for a while, and you're just uncomfortable, <laughs> and you just kind of want it to end, and then it does, and you're just like, the next thing you see is Ebony, and you're like, oh. I'm on the fence about that scene because, again, it's for me. I just find it really gross the way Lex responds to having a female in his power and how lecherous he is towards Ebony from the start. Um, it's just gross, you know. I, I, it makes me sick to my stomach because this is his greatest ah uh, fantasy. This powerful woman, he has complete control over her, and one of the first things he goes to when she upsets him is physical violence. And uh, so, yeah, again, Lex has learned nothing because this is how he's going to put her in her place. You know what I mean? And it's just so disgusting that once again, this is his instinct. He's going to teach her a lesson. He's going to give her the business. Um, and it's just like, wow, Lex, how is this? Po- how can this possibly be your first instinct when it comes to women? You know, like a woman who's got it over on you, your instinct is to overpower her physically and sexually. That's how you're going to teach her a lesson, mm. you know, and how geared up he is for that. He loves the fact he has Ebony in this cage, you know, and he loves the fact he can do this to her, you know, and of course she reads him. She gets it. She's used to abusive, powerful men who see you as nothing but an object. And so she plays him like a fiddle which is the other side of the coin. I do enjoy the fact that she turns it on its head. She's like, oh, I am not your victim, buddy. I am the Mm. one pulling the strings. And he does not realize that. But uh, she'd never be able to pull those strings if he wasn't the abusive racist. I mean, rapist he is. You know what I mean? Like, she's able to play on that. So I'm glad she's able to. But it is gross seeing that once again, this is where Lex immediately goes when he's dealing with this female. And it does gross me out, especially since it literally just happened. I just had to watch him do this to somebody. And it's even worse because he's willing to do it to a prisoner in his care, which says so much about his personality. I mean, what do they say about a society is judged on how they treat their prisoners, you know? And um, I'm glad she turns the tables. That's awesome. It says a lot about Ebony. Yeah. Loved Ebony just pulling it over on Lex instead. I like her recon- uh, reconnaissance of the mall as she's leaving. Yeah. Like, she left him in such a state that she wasn't in a hurry. I thought that was kind of cool. What I did find interesting is you have her glance at Amber, and then she casts that... She has that smug look on her face, and then she looks at Trudy with that baby next to her, and you see her face just fall a tiny bit. Well, I mean, I think she put two and two together. Yeah, she definitely got two um, and two together. like, ah... Oh. Okay. Well, that makes sense. The two of them were together because she's the one who pushed them together. Yeah, she's just a, she's evaluating whether these guys are a threat to her, and she recognizes they're not. Yeah, they don't have Zoot here. Like I'm, I've got it. I've got it in the bag. She's, the yeah, are she's mine. got it in a good position, and like the one person who might be put up a anything is very easy to take care of. We've just established, mm-hmm. like. I have boobs and it works. And that's the moment you realize that she never, she doesn't care that Trudy has Zoot's baby. She puts two and two together right there. She knows it's not Braze, you know, do the math. She's just like, all right. And she's like, okay. So if Zoot was going to be here, he definitely would be here with this child. Mm -hmm. He's not. So he really is gone. And I don't have to think about that anymore. And now I can go back to the locos and lead and do whatever. 
without threat of Zoot coming and kicking the crap out of me or whatever he would do. She can be the boss lady. Yeah. And it also says it's a hint at the abuse that he did put her through. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, when you first see Ebony, look at her makeup. Look at the way she's dressed. She's just a female copy of him. You know, oh, that's all mm-hmm. she is. She's his female, um, you know, doppelganger. His mini mouse, you know. Um, yeah. And and that's, you know, the, she's just the female version. And that's yeah. very common in life. Where the women, that's what we have to be. We have the female version of some already a male-established character. Once he's gone, she changes her look entirely. It's very much more what she would prefer to envision herself as. Her hair is the way she wants it to be. Her makeup, her clothing, much more classy Mm -hmm. and stylish and tailored. She's not his reflection anymore. You know, she's who Mm -hmm. she wants to be. And um, she isn't chaos, which is actually kind of interesting. Ebony is much more order. and um, She's power. She's power in order. (laughs) Yeah law in order you know it's she was power he was chaos yeah i was just thinking that so yeah i see relief when she realizes what she's dealing with he is gone he's not hiding in here these people are not a threat to her this is awesome this is a new lease on life for her mm-hmm. Definitely. i was just thinking about meditating break thank you for bringing that up what the actual yeah. f is happening there like what is it yeah. You know what? I see Bray meditating with a braid down his side. And all I think is, okay, so is he auditioning to be a next Jedi? Right. It's a weird scene because it, it look is. at the way Bray behaves the entire time. He acts as though the confrontation between he and Trudy that made him leave them all never happened. Mm-hmm. It's so weird. And I will admit, even though I know Trudy is living in her own dream world. Of dealing with Bray and reading into his every word and action is to being more than it really is. It's stuff like this that I could understand why she's so confused by Bray. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because she comes to him ready to acknowledge what they went through before he left them all. The emotional state that both of them are in. She's come to apologize and acknowledge that it happened. And Bray is acting like nothing has happened. Yeah, between yeah. them, it's very weird. Like I don't understand. It is weird. He's so shocked that she apologizes, and she's like, "Dude, I screamed at you last time. Remember?" And he's just like, "No, nope, don't know what you're talking about. Nothing yeah, happened yeah. between us." It's it's a very bizarre moment. Bray is like, kind of like an in the moment type of person, though. Like I think he thinks it's just water under the bridge. Like it's happened. Moving on. I just thought it was weird the way he behaved as if they hadn't had something that needs to be discussed or resolved. And here's Trudy trying to resolve it. And he's just like, oh, it's fine. Everything's cool. I don't know what you're talking about, you know, and I get why it confuses her so much. I mean, he sends up so many weird signals to her. He is weird. I mean, he did leave because she screamed at him. That's why he left. You know, he left because she was upset about Celine and then he comes back two days later, and she's ready to resolve this and address it. And he's just like, what? I don't know what you're talking about. What? Huh? Everything's fine. I was great. Yeah, I was captured by the Locos. And she's like, do we want to talk about how that happened? <laughs> and he's like, what happened? What are you talking about? Like, it's, it could make a person think they're crazy, you know? Um, like, I'm trying to apologize for the way I treated you, and you're, tr- you're talking to me as though I didn't treat you that way, though we didn't have this conversation. Is that how you're going to pretend? That, is that how he copes? Is that how he 
you know, yes. gets through these and not deals with them. He just pretends they never happened. <laughs> if that's the way he has been doing it for months, then it's no wonder she thinks everything she does is fine. Yeah, it does. It definitely enables her behavior. And, um, but it also says something about her, too, that if this has been their dynamic, she's not learned anything. And yeah, it's, it's, it's very toxic. Uh, very unsettling. I mean, maybe it was a little different because they were alone and Trudy didn't feel threatened by anybody. But yeah, it's just, it's very unhealthy. I still feel like Trudy's pushing something that should have been very obvious to her was never going to happen. And I also feel like Bray is just bizarrely not I dealing just, with things at all. Once again, I'm not Bray's biggest fan. Like, the writers want us to care about him and love him, and I just... They don't give me a good enough reason. So that's where I'm at. I actually don't feel like the writers are trying to push you on Bray at all. They present Bray. Yeah. But um, I because later we're actually going to get examples of writing where the writers are really trying to push characters on us who we should not like. But the writers are like, no, no, no. You should totally like this character because we love this character. And we want you to like this character. We want you to root for this character. Even those characters are going to do terrible, terrible things. We're going to brush all of their terrible acts under the rug because we want you to like them. I don't feel like they do that with Bray. I just don't. I never felt pushed to like Bray, ever. Because you can tell. I mean, if you're a writer yeah. and you write a terrible character, you can tell whether or not the writer is aware they've written a terrible character. You know? And um, with season one, I don't feel like that. I feel like the writers, they know who their characters are, and they're not trying to force you to care about them or like them. They're just presenting them as they are and leaving it up to you to feel for them how you will. Mm -hmm. You know, who you relate to, who you don't relate to. You know, um, but later on, you're going to start seeing some favoritism in the writing. And um, definitely the writing will be skewed in certain characters' favor because that's who the writers want you to like. That's who they want you to follow and favor. And they don't want to put the work in making you actually feel that way. They're just character shilling. <laughs> I just I think I've been voted like the the leader of the anti-Bray club. So I'm just going <laughs> to. Well, yeah, but that. I don't feel like, I mean, that was your choice you made. It wasn't anything the yeah. writers have done. You just don't feel it for him. You know, I was never a huge Bray fan. I didn't fall in love with him. I didn't hate him. I was always somewhere just in the middle of the fence of it. You know, um, there are people who've hated Lex on site because of his actions. And there are other people who are just like, ah, I still think he's cool. But it's nothing the writers did. They just presented the characters and you personally get to decide how you feel about them. Yeah. And um, yeah, again, later you'll feel there's a big difference in how characters are presented. Yeah. Also, I do think sometimes our feelings on these characters in the first season are based on retroactive feelings, based on everything we've seen that will come later. Yeah. So think about it. You have your first brain Amber scene. It isn't a big deal if that's the first time you've ever seen the show. Because it's not shoved down your throat that these two are going to be a, a couple. But if you've spent years and years and you know the whole Brain Amber saga, and then you go back, it does feel like it's being shoved down your throat. But it's not based on what was there. It's just based on your history with the show. You know, so sometimes it can be hard to go back to the beginning and view these characters the way we actually saw them in the beginning because we know them too much. We've obsessed about them too much. We've talked about them too much. We've written about them too much to be able to think of them in any other terms and in this much more broader scope than as they were when they were presented. You can't deny Lex is presented as a total jerk in the beginning, yeah. you know, 
But most of us don't watch season one thinking of Lex as only a jerk. We're thinking of his whole overarching story. And that's how you judge him. You're judging him on five seasons of personality. So yeah, it can be hard sometimes to separate 20 years of love and obsession with actually boiling them down to what's actually being pretty. Like people retroactively hated Amber because of what happened in season five. A lot of people hated her because of what happened in season five. I hated them. Like what happened in season five that we hate Amber? I love Amber. I'm just saying, like there are people who unfairly hate her actions in season one because of things that happen later. Yeah. Even though season one Amber does not deserve that hate, there are people who are like, yeah, but I hate how she acts in season three or four or five, and she retroactively gets that hate. You know what I mean? There are people who went yeah. back. There are some people who always hated Trudy, but they changed their mind on hating Trudy based on things that happen in later seasons. Yep. Suddenly they're uh, like, oh, I'm a big Trudy fan. I always hated Trudy. Trudy. It's not fair what happened to Trudy. But that came later. They didn't like her for a long time. I'm just saying, like, it can be hard to yeah. distinguish your original feelings for the character compared to your retroactive feelings about the character. Ryan wasn't popular, okay, for a long time. Ryan was not. But now everybody talks about how much they love Mm -hmm. Ryan. He's appreciated retroactively since we've all grown up. You know? (laughs) But in the uh, I guess I guess there's some characters that I go back and forth on, but for the most part, like I don't know. The ones that I like, I really like. The ones that I don't like, I don't really like. Bray is in that camp. Of I don't really like him. Trudy is in that camp. You know, I know my feelings have changed. I used to love Lex. He used to be my first favorite character. You know, me and my uncles, we all loved Lex. We loved that he was such a jerk, you know? And then I grew up, and I don't hate Lex or anything like that. I still really like him. But he's certainly nowhere near my favorite character. I didn't, I don't recall liking Trudy in the beginning, you know? Um, it took a while, and now she's my favorite character, you know? I didn't think much of Ryan, took me a long time to appreciate Ryan. So I do think your feelings can change and you can pretend that that's what you've always felt. But it's like, no, you didn't always feel that way. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I do agree on that. It's just, for me, some characters I just didn't like instantly or liked instantly, but there are other characters that just grew on me. I can honestly say Zandra's one of the few people that I loved her immediately, you know? Yeah. And um, and now you have people coming back and saying, Zandra's great. And it's just like, I remember you people didn't like her. I thought she was awesome. Yeah. Zandra grew on me. I do think it's funny. I think I do think it's interesting, like, when you discuss characters with people. And I can recall a time where I would have, I might have uh, supported for a certain character and how few people were on board with me. But now, so many years later, if I bring up that character, all of these people are like, oh, yeah, I love that character. It's like, where were you 10 years ago? <laughs> Well, yeah, I think we all have. You didn't to. like them back then. <laughs> but I, I always like Danny. <laughs> I think I know, and I, I know you, I've known you guys for a while now. Like, I, I can tell you, like, Sabine's always been Trudy. Like, I've always been Lax. Like, there are certain characters, love her or hate them. Like, we've been down this road a few years now. Just saying. But that's the journey of perspective, baby. Yeah, yeah. I, I think. I grew to appreciate the technos more when I met more nerds. I think I grew to appreciate the technos more when I met Lily. <laughs> yes, thank you, Lily. Uh, I only like the brand because of Lily, let's be honest. 
so that brings episode 18 to a close uh thank you very much to the panel um and we'll see you next time for episode 19 uh so until then bye 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 bye